Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you and praise you and we honor you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the teachings of your word. We thank you that you are our Lord and our God, and through you we have redemption. We thank you that you are the fullness of the presence of God, that you were from the beginning of beginnings, from eternity with the Father, and you are the end, O Lord, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. We praise you and honor you for all that you have done and all that you have accomplished in our behalf. We praise you this day, Christ our King. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles and you would like to look at your Bibles with me, if you would open them, please, to St. Luke's Gospel. St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 chapter 23 of St. Luke's Gospel. Otherwise, you may certainly follow um, in the insert that is in your bulletin, because I'll be speaking from, from the Gospel that was just read a moment ago. Um, you may notice, for example, that today the colors of the church are different. Uh, they were green for a long time, and today we changed the colors to white, and you can see my stall white, and the vestments that we would use is, are also white. And the reason is that today is what's called in the liturgical calendar, Christ the King Day. Christ the King Day. And we celebrate it showing the colors of glory and of praise and of thanksgiving and of purity, which is the white. Today, in actuality, in the Christian calendar, today is the end of year. Today is, today is the last day of the year 2013, or the calendar year 2013. During that calendar year, we have been reading and studying the Gospel of Luke. And so today we kind of conclude with seeing Jesus back at the cross. Beginning next Sunday, the colors will change again. Beginning next Sunday is what we call the season of Advent. The season of Advent which lasts four weeks. It is a season that celebrates... Well, Advent means in the Latin to come, or the coming. Advent, come. And it reminds us, first of all, that we are in preparation for the coming of Jesus as a baby on earth. And so we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, which celebrates the coming of Jesus, the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it also celebrates uh, the advent of when Jesus appeared on earth in his ministry. And we're going to be reading some of the lessons that have to do with John the Baptist. That is the one that introduces Jesus. You might say he's the usher. As the usher of the church gave you books as when you came in. He is the usher of Jesus into the scene of redemption and of kingdom presence. So
So we also celebrate that appearance of Jesus when he was some, somewhere around the year 30 AD or so. But we're also going to be looking, beginning with next week, at the second coming of Christ. So we're also looking at the coming of Jesus when he returns in glory and the, the church will be caught up in the heavens with him and all who believe will be raised at that moment. They will receive heavenly bodies and ascend to the heavens to be with the Lord. So we're looking forward to that second coming. We're celebrating the first one, but looking at the second coming. But I think also when we look at the season of Advent, we need to be reminded that Jesus comes into our hearts. That he comes today, sometimes for the first time, sometimes for the second time, sometimes on a constant basis, because I'm constantly inviting Jesus come into my heart. Not so much for salvation, but because I enjoy his presence. I want his presence, I hunger for his presence, and I thirst for him to be in my life in a visible way, in a manifested and visible way. So we are looking and about to begin the season of Advent. But I think also it's extremely important that we be able to connect today's gospel about the cross with the gospel that will be read through Advent, and especially Christmas Day. Because we need to connect the two things. Without the birth of Jesus, there is no death on the cross. And without the death on the cross, there's just the birth of a baby, period. The baby was born so that he could become a human, so that he can take our place on that cross, not as a stranger or an alien or somebody different from us, but rather somebody just like us, another human being dying for the sins of all who were like him. So Jesus becomes man at the manger so that he could be man at the cross. And he dies on the cross in order to give meaning to the journey. The journey of Christmas ends, or you might say not ends, because Jesus ascends to heaven and he's at the right hand of the Father still uh, serving for us and, and uh, as, as, as the intercessor of his people. But in a way, the journey for which he come, the mission for which he came, finds his fulfillment at the cross. He came so he could die. He came to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Had Jesus not died, we would be celebrating a birth on Christmas like the birth of Abraham Lincoln or the birth of, of anybody else for that matter, our own birth, but nothing more than that. But the cross gives meaning to the manger, and the manger gives meaning to the cross. I want to refer to you about the gospel that you just read, and which hopefully you have in your hands. Because one of the things that touched me in reading this gospel are the number of characters that are in this few verses of the cross of Jesus which I really would love to look at with you briefly at least. 
One of the things it says as it begins in verse 35 is that it says that the people stood by watching. The people stood by watching. And you know, I wonder how many of us are still standing by watching and not making a decision for Jesus. How many people in the world today are just simply watching the church? Sometimes we ourselves in the church, we are people who listen, hear, but don't make a decision. We're observers in a way. We're spectators in a way. We enjoy the fellowship. We enjoy people. We enjoy hospitality. We enjoy the music. But none of it matters unless you enjoy Jesus. None of it matters unless you invite Jesus into your heart for him to become your Lord and your Savior. People stood by, they watched the religious leaders, they watched the soldiers, they watched the thieves, they watched Mary, they watched John, they watched Mary Magdalene, but they were just watching, not involved. And I wonder in the world today how many people are watching the church, still not involved. How many people are sometimes listening to preachers, some of which are good and some of which just teach you positive thinking, but no gospel? You make that decision, I'm not the judge of any preacher. But how many of us are just simply watching? Watching from a distance, not wanting to get too, too close not wanting to be too, too close. Then there is the rulers. It says that the people stood by watching Jesus on the cross, but the rulers coughed. The rulers coughed, throwing derogatory terms at Jesus. Throwing out challenges. If you really are the Son of God, you come down this cross and save us. You can't even save yourself. And, and, and they're just coughing at him. And I think if we're honest, we need to understand that there's a whole lot of scoffers in our life today. A lot of scoffers who say all kinds of things about Jesus to put him down, to demean him. How many scoffers are there on television, on television programs? How many scoffers are there in, in your surrounding life of people for whom just using the name of Jesus is like using any other name without this respect at all? Jesus becomes just another term among many. It doesn't seem we can come up with a better term, so we'll throw out the name of Jesus. Or God, as if it was a common name, when we should be very careful not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Are we not better than that? Even we believers? The rulers of the people scoffed at Jesus. 
And then you have the soldiers mocking, making fun of him, tearing his clothes, whipping him, spitting at him, insulting him. And I have to tell you with all sincerity that I believe that many times unintentionally we may do some of the same things. One of the things that causes me to cringe a little bit in my life at times is when people tell jokes about Jesus came to the pearly gate and this and that business. I don't like those jokes. I don't think we play around with God. I don't think we should use God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus in our joking for a laugh. I think we need to be careful once again in how we use the name of Jesus. If we believers misuse the name of Jesus, what will unbelievers do? If we ourselves do not hold the name of Jesus as precious, why would unbelievers need to? What is the example that we might be giving? So the soldiers mocked. I mean, I don't think I want to go into too many details of that. And then you have two other characters in this scene. One is a criminal. Actually, two are criminals. But one of the criminals, it says that one of the criminals railed at him. Railed at him. You know, when I look at that criminal... And I have preached on this numerous times. I see in that criminal what I call the cross of rejection. He is hanging with Jesus between heaven and earth. Not actually belonging anymore to either, because earth already condemned him to death, and heaven has not received him yet. He's just hanging there with the Savior of the world by his side. And instead of acknowledging who he is and who he's hurt him to be, he begins to rail at him and accuse him and demean him and tell him you can't even save yourself. Why don't you save us? And, and all of these things. And I wonder how many of us, have an opportunity. That was his last chance for salvation, and he wasted it. He wasted it, and he died as an unbeliever. And as an unbeliever, he died with his sins upon him, and he was punished by them. His one chance, his last chance, he didn't even have to be baptized. He didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was call on Jesus, and Jesus would forgive him. But no, he was so set on his ways. It was his way or the highway. It was what he wanted or nothing. It was the way he wanted the Messiah to be or nothing. He wasn't going to believe. Maybe he was so full of guilt because sometimes we're so full of guilt that we don't think we're worth calling upon Jesus. I've met people like that. This man had an opportunity for salvation right next to him, and he chose not to. And, and I wonder today how many people 
have a chance for eternal life and reject it because of their own preconceived ideas of what Jesus should be or should not be or how things should happen or fear that he's going to make me change some things in my life. Yes, he will change to the good. Away from sin and the consequences of sin into eternal life and the consequences of life that is abundant and free and wonderful. What a chance this man had and he wasted it. I hope none of you here are wasting your opportunity because you know not when your last day on earth will be. And then there is the other thief, the other criminal. This one is different. This one is as guilty as the first one. In fact, he acknowledges it. We are here because we deserve what is being done to us, but not this man. And he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And to him, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Not a day after, not at the end of life. Today. You will receive what you are trusting me for. That man chose to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, whom he had heard him to be. That man chose to take a chance. He may not have come to know Jesus personally or for a long time, but he took a chance that he was the Savior of the world, and he called out to him his one last request in life. Jesus, remember me. I believe. And defended him against the other criminal. I believe. He believed that he was guilty and needed repentance. He believed that Jesus was the king that had a kingdom. He believed that he could go into that kingdom through Jesus Christ. He believed Jesus was the only way to that kingdom and to the Father. And he wasn't going to waste his one last chance just before dying and he knew he was going to die that very day he was going to die and he called upon him who could give him life eternal but why did Jesus die if, if I call that one the cross of rejection I call the other thief the cross of acceptance and then the cross in the middle, I call it the cross of grace. Because he who hanged there, hanged there so that you and I didn't have to hang there. There is a theological term that I'm sure you all will understand. But it's the word substitution. Jesus was hanging on the cross as a substitute for me and for you. He was hanging on that cross because he so loved you 
that he took upon himself your particular sins and put it on his shoulder and said to the Father, charge me with every pain, with every guilt, with every punishment, with every consequence of the sins of these people. Charge me and I will pay willingly for your sins so that you could walk this life free from that guilt and that punishment and that consequence. What was happening at the cross was a substitution. Substitution of the guiltless or of the guilty for the guiltless. Of the sinner for the holy. Substitution of, of men and women for the God-man. A few days ago, I was reading my Bible and doing my meditation this past week. And the meditation book that I look to, uh, or that I use to, uh, to do my meditation and my Bible reading, asked me to read Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 begins with God speaking to Abram before his name was changed to Abraham. And he says to him, Abram, do not be afraid, for I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And as chapter 15 continues, it is the establishment of the covenant. And Abraham comes and he takes animals, several animals that God told him to. He cuts them in half and he puts them on an altar on each side. Pigeon and, and, and a lamb and, and, and just different animals and cuts them in half and puts them aside. And he kind of falls asleep. And he has a dream I'm not going to go into, but it's a dream of what's going to happen to his people. And he's told that he's going to have a, a children greater than number than, than the stars of the heavens. But here's what I want to say to you. In the old way of doing treaties or covenants in the time of Abraham, the old style of, of, of doing these things was that you would make a covenant with someone and you would do a sacrifice and you would perhaps kill an animal and put it in a place and as the blood is spilling from the altar, the two of you walk through the center of that blood signifying that if either of you breaks the covenant, you are willing to pay with your life. Both of you walk through the sacrifice and the blood of the dead animal and you step over it, signifying this covenant is eternal between you and I, and we, neither of us, will break it without consequence. But as you keep reading Genesis 15... The only one that walks through the center of that sacrifice is God. Abram is not asked to walk through it. God is basically signifying, if this covenant is broken, I will pay for it. 
not Abram. God would pay for it. And what we see in the cross today, as we read this passage, is we see the fulfillment of a God that though he did not break the covenant, we broke the covenant. He pays for our sins, for our negligence, for our stupidities, for our selfishness. It is for our sins that God dies on a cross as he promised when he established the covenant. Today, you and I cannot take the cross lightly. We must come to Christ the King day and to every day of our lives looking at that one who died in my place at the cross and accepted all the insults that the world could throw at him and yet he died so you could have life. Christ the King. The king torn down by whipping, torn down by nails, torn down by a cross of thorns, and torn down emotionally by the railing and the abuse, and torn down spiritually in that he became the sin of the world, and his father turned away from him so that he could be sin in every weight of that word. And all you and I have to do, like the thief on the cross, is turn to him and say, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I give you my life, my King, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, I give you my life today and the rest of it and for eternity I will serve you, honor you, and worship you as my God and my Lord. And that's all it takes and yours is the kingdom of heaven. But you must make the decision and not just watch the cross requires a reaction. The cross requires a reaction. You'll either push it away or ignore it, or you must embrace it and be saved. But you cannot be a bystander. The death of Jesus requires a reaction that will turn your life completely upside down or downside up. Amen.